Welcome to Rise and Shine, raw chats with real women in Australian small business. In each candid conversation with a small business owner, we'll explore the messy back end of business with heaps of golden wisdom to help you learn, grow and live your truth. I'm your host, Rachel Green, SEO copywriter and founder of Shine Copy. Let's do it. Today, I'm chatting with Kate Ryan, founder of social enterprise Alep. Kate sources natural soap from Syria and Turkey with 100% of profits supporting asylum seekers and refugees here in Australia. Kate has a corporate leadership background, an exquisite brand aesthetic, and a beautiful heart, as you'll discover. Hello, how wonderful to see you, Kate. (laughs) Thank you so much. Good to be here. You run Alep a social enterprise that's captured my heart and admiration since I first met you. So for listeners who haven't heard of it, can you tell us all about Alep? Yeah, sure. Well, Alep is, um, it's a soap. It's a very simple, natural uh, product that is made in Syria and I import it to Australia and I I sell it to the Australian market and all the profits go to um, the purpose of of Alep, which is to support asylum seekers and refugees here in Australia. Oh, my gosh. I just love that. <laughs> um, I love it too. I love it too. Yes, I know. It's You're all in. I know. <laughs> so why Syria? Like why this product and this cause? Look, it wasn't necessarily Syria to begin with. It was just a great product. And I'd always used it. My family have used it for years. It's just really good gentle soap for people who have, you know, sensitive skin. And I, I do, I've got really dry skin and it was it, it was just a product that I loved. And, but it was relatively hard to get here in Australia. Like if you go to the Middle East, it's everywhere. And, and regardless, you know, it, it depends on re- which region you go to, um, we'll have different ingredients, but generally uh, the Aleppo soap is from Syria and I, I just used it. So it wasn't particularly Syria. I was, you know, interested in or concerned about it. It was more the soap and the more that I researched it, I'm like, oh, Aleppo in in Syria, and it's and then I started to think a bit more about Syria <laughs> refugees, and 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 I wondered, you know, how the industry was going over there. And so for me, um, that it was first and foremost the product, and then it was the story that sat behind the product that really got me hooked in. So yeah, I think I wanted to bring it to Australia. I wanted to bring it to a wider market. It's it's simple, it's natural, it's good for your skin. It lasts a really long time. And I'm like, why doesn't everybody use it? Why isn't it here? So that kind of started me thinking. So had you travelled to Aleppo before? No. I've never been <laughs> to Aleppo. I've been, you know, yeah, I know. And the, the shame of it is we, I, I don't know, I can't see a time when I'll ever be able to go to Syria. I would love to go over there. But it's, it's a war torn country and um, my contacts that initially helped me source the product um, they were telling me stories about what was going on over there they were educating me politically I had no idea um, and so that was part of the journey as well of me learning about this soap that I love yep it's a soap it's a product but it actually has a very long history and 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 right now the history of it is really sad um, so for me, I went to, I've been to Turkey and that's kind of where I made the contacts. I would love to go to Syria. I, you know, I, I've considered going to the borders near Turkey, near Syria and, and checking out the factories there. But I've always been advised against it. You know, I'll, I'll see. I'd love to. But, yeah, one day, yes. hopefully. 
Yeah, I can imagine. No, it felt like a stupid question to ask, but no, no, no. Look, yeah, I'd love to go. Oh God, it would give me. But but it doesn't seem to be getting better. You know, you kind of hope that things will change, and uh, and I'm not not an expert by any means, but you know, I obviously have an interest in the area now. So yeah, yes. And so, how did you find contacts there to help you source the soap? Because I imagine, like for like regular small businesses yeah. or businesses in general, finding, yeah. you know, supplies and stuff, it's a totally different ballgame. So how did it work yeah. for you? So I've got to start by saying I've never done this before. <laughs> My day job as a communications <laughs> consultant, I've, I I just kind of went, it can't be that hard, right? How hard did it be? Well, you know, <laughs> it's very hard. So essentially what happened was I previously, in 2019, I travelled to Turkey and I'd done a, a, a tour there and I'd met, um, a lovely woman um, over there who was on a board of a nonprofit um, that helped refugees and asylum seekers in Turkey. She was Australian. And so I just reached out to her and I said, look, do you have any contacts of uh, Aleppo, you know, Aleppans, somebody or anybody who knows about the soap and could get me good quality? I was really interested in getting good quality soap. And she's like, absolutely. I'm actually working with um, a young man at the moment who's just fled from Syria. He comes from Aleppo. He has family there. Do you want to chat to him? And I was like, oh, my goodness, yeah, of course. And so she put me in contact with um, Muhammad. And Muhammad was a 32-year-old um, Syrian guy who'd spent six years as a political prisoner in Syria, fled to Turkey. He was studying there and he spoke perfect English. He was studying chemical engineering and he had family in Aleppo. And so he kind of, over 18 months, we worked together to so he'd send me samples and we'd, we'd try different, you know, different types and different suppliers. Um, and so that's how I got, and I got, I was just so lucky, so lucky that Muhammad had a really deep understanding of the industry, of the political situation. And so, and, and of the quality. And so he, he worked with me and it was during lockdown so we were on Zoom. He was living in Istanbul at the time, studying there. We were on Zoom. And, you know, it, it was that weird COVID time where all of a sudden your whole world is in your house. And so he got to meet my family and, you know, and, and it was a really interesting time. But essentially, Muhammad helped me source the soap from Syria. And he essentially, we were getting it over the border um, in trucks. And he would he'd track it and we'd track it together and we were kind of getting 300 kilos at a time. And so it was just this amazing kind of coming together of luck and, you know, good fortune that, that I met Mohammed and he helped me. And so essentially I was getting the soap over in smaller lots and I'm like, right, okay, Mohammed, let's get a kilo, uh, sorry, let's get a tonne over now. I'm ready to go. Let's ship it to Australia. And he's like, yes, let's go. And that's when I ran into trouble. Um, the, the soap just, it sat on the, we, we, we got it through Iraq and apparently that's all fine, but it sat on the docks there because we didn't have the right documentation. And I learned so much from that because while I was being purist, I wanted to get it from Syria. I wanted to get it from the right factories in Syria. Unfortunately, those factories who've gone through years and years of war didn't have the right documentation for me to get it imported into Australia. We've got very strict, rightly so, very strict quarantine um, standards. And so unfortunately, everything was going wonderfully up until that point. And I hit this wall of, I can't get this, I can't get the soap, I can't source it from where I want to source it. And I had to really step back. And that was a really 
really difficult time last year <laughs> where I was like, well, maybe I can't do this. Maybe, oh, maybe my standards are too high. Maybe I need to look at getting the soap from the border of Turkey because they're still Syrian soap makers. I will be able to get it a lot easier. And so I kind of went through this big investigative, you know, the first phase was amazing. I really hit that kind of next phase, um, which I'm happy to say now. I have ended up going through a French company who have a factory in Syria. The soap gets shipped to France. It gets all the, you know, all the testing done and everything like that. And then I can get it very easily into Australia. So there's a good outcome. There's a good ending. But I did have to... um, I did have to compromise. I wanted to get it directly from them. It just wasn't possible for me. Middle aged, middle class Kate, white Kate sitting here in Australia. It, you know, I was out of my league a bit. So um, yeah, I had to kind of compromise, and it, it hasn't been a compromise. The soap's amazing. I can get a good supply when I need it, which is critical. Um, and so yeah, it's kind of I'm happy I'm here now, talking to you now, and not last year because it would have yeah, it would have been a different conversation. Oh my gosh, because you started in um, 2021. Is that right when you launched officially to the world? Yeah, yeah. Look, this, the thinking and the working around it started in 2020. And, and I, that's when I started to think, what am I doing with, you know, that whole, I was turning 50. It was like, what am I doing with my life? Is this it? Is this, is this it? And so we were in lockdown and I'm like, what can I do? What can I do? And, and it was also part of me being angry, quite frankly, about the way that we treat refugees and asylum seekers in Australia. And I had this anger in me and I had this soap and I'm like, how can I, can I do the, you know, how could I help? What, what's the connection? What what do we need here um, in Australia? And, and so I kind of, the thinking was a really, the thinking was a year of it. And I think that's just as important as the launch and the, the, the fun bit is who am I? What is the business? What's our purpose and how do I get there? How do I not get distracted by all the noise and the stuff that you read about business? I was really clear and I still am. Who am I? What am I doing? And how do I get to where I want to get to? Um, yeah. Wow. So where where do you want to get to? So, again, I might be naive, but but I, I don't want this to become bigger than Ben-Hur. I just want what I want Alep to be is an income stream for programs that support asylum seekers and refugees. I won't be running those programs. I don't have the capacity or the understanding of their expertise to do it. I just want to fund really great programs. And I actually, I volunteered at the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre in Footscray in Melbourne for a year. And and I've seen the great work that they do. So for the moment, I've partnered with them in order to fund their programs eventually when I make a profit. But so that was been really important to me to be really clear. I'm not providing the services. I'm providing funding for them to do that. So I can concentrate on running a great business, making a profit, doing all the things that every other business does. But instead of the profit going to me, the profit goes to the purpose. And I've set it up that way. I'm a registered charity. I'm a social enterprise, so um, there's re- it's really clear for me. So my p- that my goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars a year to to give to the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre. You know, in this instance, and that's it. I don't want to. I don't want to go global. I don't want to scale. I don't want to do anything other than that. And when I achieve that, 
which is hard enough, right? That's a really big goal, but whatever. <laughs> Once I do that, I'm really keen to hand it on to someone to run, preferably somebody with lived experience, and then maybe I'll start another little thing. Maybe I'll start another income stream that's different to this because in, in for, for um, services, kind of social services and, and charities, they kind of need money. They need volunteers 100%. And that's what I did. I volunteered my time. But I'm like, imagine rather than volunteering my time, volunteering, maybe I could use that time and do this. And maybe that would have more um, more impact because Peter Singer, um, the philosopher, wrote a book called The Best You Can Do or The Most You Can Do. And it's like, what's the best that I can do? And is the best I can do volunteering in person or is the best I can do giving all my skills and doing this and hopefully having a good impact or, or a impactful kind of yeah yeah yes I love that you see the world like that and that yes you could give money you could give time but better than all of that is bring everything in you and everything you're able to grab outside of you to pull it together to create something that becomes a legacy I guess for someone else to run once you've achieved your goal and it can continue to like perpetuate Goodness, yes. essentially, yes. Yeah, wow. and at the same time, is the product also good? For, for, for it, mm. does the product also have a good impact? Because for me, that's as, as important. I could, I don't want to make widgets or, or something that's that's terrible environmentally. I actually want yes. the product to be, you know, and it's 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 really a natural, very, you know, and we bandy that word around. But essentially, it has two. It has two ingredients at the end. When you have it in your hand, um, here it is. when you have this beautiful product in your hand it has two ingredients in it and that's laurel oil and olive oil and so it it's been cured for nine months it'll last much longer than other soaps um it's packaged in in recyclable paper so that's important too so the impact is both social and environmental um and for me that was that was the 12 months of thinking it's like how do i bring the how do i do the most good and the most good is also environmentally. I, I think if you if you stopped using your pump packs in the shower and transferred to a bar soap, not even my bar soap, any bar soap, you're already doing a great thing. You're already reducing that plastic going to landfill. I love a pump pack as much as anybody. I've got one near my, you know, my kitchen sink. It's not about shaming people, but it's just about if one, if you could just replace one product. Um, and if and, and I also think there was this idea of when did we move away from bath soap? When did we decide that we needed, you know, and I've, I've got two kids and we used to go through those pump packs like because the kids were like, you know, and so I mm. think that's the other side, the other component of it is the environmental message there, which is yes. we can simplify. We've been marketed these amazing, beautiful pump pack products, whatever, I love them in, in certain circumstances, but I think sometimes it's really important to step back and go, what do I need? Like, what does my body need now? And can I reduce the the, the waste going to landfill? Mm. Um, yeah. I think I think we as consumers, as just regular plebs, never decided we needed pump packs. It was a marketing person yeah. or, a yeah. you know, a moneymaker, probably yeah. a male, sorry, people, but probably yeah. a male who decided, <laughs> let's do this. Yeah. yeah. It's, yes. And, and, and think- we all just, we didn't even question it. I, I, did, I didn't. For, until you know, I, I've got this because I've got bad, you know, sensitive skin, and so that's why I use the bar soap. But 
then I started to think, when, at what point in time, like I wonder if we tracked it, at what point in time did they go, hey, hey, here's this bright, shiny thing, and and it's fine, but, you know, if you use a lot of it, like if you've got a, I've got a family of four, like we go through lots of stuff. So I, I'd love to, it'd be fascinating to go back and go, where did it, where did it tip? Like where did we move from the bar? So, you know, I don't know. Yes, I know. When a bar just works, it's just as effective. Anyway, we could get into a conversation yeah, about like yeah. how we are passengers in our in a yeah. life driven by consumerism. I know. I know then we I both know. feel really awful at the end of this. Yeah, anyone exactly. listening would. <laughs> um, running a social enterprise is not like running a normal business, and I imagine mm. there are specific challenges. Are there any others that you can think of that you, that you haven't already spoken about? Like, for example, the supply chain logistics. Yeah. Look, I think I think running a social enterprise, you have a um I think you have a higher standard. Well, uh, I don't know. I just feel like you have to be more transparent and open because you're you're claiming and and to be honest, it's it's an, a marketing you know, kind of vehicle as well, being a social enterprise, people feel much better about working and buying from social enterprises. So you have the obligation to be really clear on where your profits are going because to be a social enterprise in Australia and in Victoria, there's no real guidelines around it. Um, there's there's lots of uh, organisations that will help you, but there's no, you know, I could you know, typically a social enterprise will give 50% or more of their profits to their purpose. but you know, I don't know how you measure that. How do you retail a company has given 50% of their profits? Do, do we see their books? No, we don't. Like, so do we? Do they open up their financials? No. So I think there's a higher level of transparency required when you're a social enterprise. And, that, and that's time and that's effort and that's scary for me to tell people how many bars of soap I've sold because a business doesn't want to do that. They don't want to open you up to, you know, to, to the world. And so... I think the social enterprise side of it, I went into it uh, thinking that it would solve all the problems. And I think at the end of the day, you're still a business. For me, I'm still a business. I've still got all the challenges that other businesses has got. But in some ways, being a charity, it's a little bit easier because the reporting requirements are less. But there's also other obligations that go along with that. For example, I don't own the business. I can never sell it. I can never get investors because you can't, um, you know, you can't uh, distribute dividends. So there is a, I think when people go into social enterprises, I think you really need to think about the structure and don't set that first. Work for a while and, and really educate yourself about what it is to be a social enterprise and whether that works for you because it might be better not to be one. Um, Swinburne does a great um, social enterprise online course that I did and that's their message. Their message is don't set your structure up first, have a think about it and work out what's best for you and then do that at the end. Don't start with a structure and then work your business plan around. Do your business plan and then think about what your structure will be. And I didn't think about that. In the end, I'm really glad that we're a charity, but I think you need to be really careful about becoming a charity because you can never sell that business and you don't own it. It's not yours. So I think that's a complexity that people need to consider and think about. So what is it that keeps you doing this? Um, I think having enough. I think when you've got enough in your life, 
you start to think about, well, how much is, you know, how much is enough? And I think I've got enough. I, I, I'm so, you know, lucky and, and, and privileged and that I just feel like, how do I, and I'm not going to deny the fact that running a business is fun for me and I'm absolutely learning new things every day. I get a benefit from it, no doubt. But I think more than that is about, you know, you can just, I could just keep working and accumulating stuff and whatever. I, I just wanted to try this. And it might not work. It might be after five years that we go, you know what, can't make it work. That's okay. It's just me. I don't employ anybody. I do it all with my kids helping me and stuff. And eventually I will have to get bigger and scale and I've got plans for that. But I just think what keeps me going is the fact that I have enough and there's a whole community out there, the um, refugees and asylum seekers in Australia, who have it so tough. And it's just, I suppose... You know, and in a lot of ways it's self-serving because I don't want to turn around in 20 years and we look back and go, what did you do? When we were treating refugees and asylum seekers so bad, what did you do about it? And I can hand on my heart and say, I tried my hardest. Um, and, and that's a selfish thing because, you know, that's about being, you know, open about why you're doing it. But for me, I just, I'm really enjoying it. It's it, Last year was really tough. I suspect I haven't even hit the hard bits yet. I'm right at the beginning. <laughs> but ask me in a couple of years, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's the it's the hope and the opportunity ahead that keeps me motivated uh, and going, yeah. So what is happening for refugees and asylum seekers in Australia right now? Oh, look, I think it's getting better. I think I think it's getting better, but I still think that, unfortunately, and this isn't just a problem in Australia, this is a worldwide problem. We have, I think there's um, there's something like 6 million people fled Syria during, from the war till now, 6 million people, and they're heading. So the, there's a, we've got crises all over the world for different reasons. It's not something that's just unique to Australia, but I think we're unique in the way that we've, we turn back the boats, we put people in offshore detention, which we know is expensive and so damaging. So for me, un, really critically policy-wise is unravelling that offshore detention. That, 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 and I think, I think we're heading in the right direction. I think people have realised it's a bad policy in so many fronts, but they can't kind of they can't kind of admit it, but I think they're slowly doing it. I think we're slowly seeing people getting moved out of detention. Look, the detention centres are still running and they're still super expensive, but I don't think there's that many people still in there. We'll be dealing for many, many years with that with the fallout for keeping those people in there, the terrible conditions. So I think for me, I think it's still dire, but I think um, I think we're headed in the right direction with this government. And look, I, all but all flavours of government are, are responsible for this. It's not a Liberal and Labor thing. Both of them were involved over the years in it. It's not a party political thing. But what we're seeing internationally is that people are looking to us and look, taking up our policies overseas. And I'm like, it doesn't work. And oh, look, I think we're a compassionate country. We have so much to offer. If we just took people in and didn't pop them off into det detention and, and, and you know and integrated them into our community and put that money into it, we need people in Australia. We need hard workers. We need, you know, a population growth through immigration. Why would we do this? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yes, I think. Sorry, that's um, ranty. I'm so ranty about this stuff. No, 
no, this is your soapbox. <laughs> and I'm yeah. interested and I know I know many others are interested in it. And you have yeah. an insight that I wouldn't have otherwise um heard if I hadn't yeah. asked you the question. Um yeah. I think um yeah, it's tricky to talk about without getting political, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh look, it's um, really it is really hard because but it's in a way it's easy because nobody you know, both sides have done it, have done the wrong thing. I, I strongly believe. So it's not like I'm, uh, you know, I'm gunning for one side or the other. Uh, you know, yeah. that when the conditions that when people arrive here um, it is terrible in that they, they can't work, they can't train, they're in this limbo. And what do you think is going to happen if you leave people in limbo for five or six years? You're not going to get a productive worker. You're not going to get a community member. You're going to get a broken person. So let's not break people when they get here after they've already experienced it. And the Asylum Seekers Resource Centre in Footscray in Melbourne is the most amazing place. It's it's huge. And they've just got, and I, I worked in the intake on reception. So I was there kind of as people came in. So um, I'm not an experienced social worker or anything like that. I just, I was just admin. But um, hearing their stories is just, you know, really hard going. And that motivates me too. Thinking about what really goes on and I've, I only did it for a year. I didn't, I'm not even an expert in it, but um, yeah, it, that, that, that memory of that time motivates me to, to keep going, I think. Is there a particular story that's, that's the wrong word because when we say, yeah. oh, tell me your story, it's kind of almost yeah. trivialises yeah. it, but it's someone's yeah. life. So yeah. I'm wondering if there's a particular life uh, experience from someone coming from Syria um, yeah, that you could share that that stays in your head as motivation for what you do. Yeah, look, I I um I met a, a woman in um at, and I worked in the innovation hub downstairs, and that this is where the innovation hub upstairs is where they get their critical care, their health, and their you know legal advice and medical advice and food and, but downstairs is where people come to get jobs and learn. Um, learn English and start businesses and stuff like that. And so there was a wonderful woman that I met there who just, you, you met her and you were like, you're amazing. Um, and you've got this spark in your eyes that tells me that you're going to be, do do wonderful things. And she was, she'd bring in her, um, her, her uh, kind of sweet biscuits and stuff like that and share them around. And, and then I ran into her recently and she, um, she actually has, got uh she does catering now and she's trying to get a food van and she's she's just this nothing will break her she's just this amazing woman that um that I think goes to the heart of what it is to fight when you when you flee a country you're not this lazy person looking for it you know you you have to get motivated and fleeing a country is a really difficult awful thing when, once you get here you know you're pretty you're pretty resourceful. And so she's just shown that. She And I saw her a couple of weeks ago at a refugee um, and supporters market here in Melbourne. And she didn't remember me, but I remembered her from the ASRC kind of three years prior. And she's she's just doing wonderfully. And and she's crowdfunding for, for the food, um, her food van. And then she was thinking, well, maybe I won't do that. And, and she's just perfectly epitomises what it can, it can what can happen if we treat people the right way, if we give them the support, they will be our entrepreneurs of the future. Um, and, and you know, it's really hard for her and she's obviously had a really tough time, but 
behind it all is this hope and optimism that she always has. And she t and she told me, oh, okay, I can make that soap for you here. And I, I can make your soap here in Australia and we'll work together on it. And so she's always got this this kind of entrepreneurial spirit going on. Um, and, yeah, I, I think she's she's amazing. Phenomenal. Yeah. I don't meet people like that in my everyday. <laughs> uh, she's just, she can't help but, you know, and, yeah, um, yeah, she, she was amazing. Um, talk to me a bit about the, I guess, the brand building of mm. Alep in the context of pouring all the profit back in, like when literally yeah. every dollar, assuming that yeah. you are making some money so far, yeah. yes. goes back in. What's yeah. that been like? So I think the, the difference is I can literally say every dollar that I spend on that doesn't go to, and it's been really hard because in order to build a brand, you need to spend money, right? And I say this, and it's kind of a bit cheeky of me, but when I work with um, providers, I do make it clear that, that you know, I'm really trying to keep, I'm a bit of a, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty, I'm a bit of a tight ass, right? So, so I try and do things at minimal cost and how do I add value and then bring people in, you know, and I have to, and probably most businesses should, but I, even more so, if I go off and buy a bloody Lamborghini or whatever it is, or even spend extra on that piece of marketing, I have to know it's going to bring a return because I'm not here to run this for fun. I'm here to make a profit. And I keep saying that I'm here to make a profit. If I don't make a profit, then my per I can't reach the purpose. Um, and so I think it's really interesting. A lot of people have given me, pretty much everyone gives me a good deal, right? And I'm really lucky. I've had so many great, wonderful supporters who have um, given me their their um, services at a really discounted rate or free because they believe in it. And I think for me, um, it's really it's been really hard to know how much money do I put into marketing because I'm a communications consultant, but I'm not a marketing person. And I don't really, I'm too old for social media and understanding it all. And so for me, um, it's about, and I have done this year, I've taken the leap and engaged a social media agency to help me. We started last month because I realised I'm at the end of my capacity. I, I've done as much as I can do. And what I did is last year, when I when the soap was on the docks in Iraq and I, I went back to work and I took a contract. So I took a, I took a six month contract, and I kind of worked up and I, I gathered some money together in order for me to pay for the marketing for the next twelve months. And I'm lucky that I can do that. But because the the business stalled, I was like, well, what am I'll I'll hustle. I'll go and I'll do my day job and I'll get a contract. And so. I, I don't know what other businesses do and, and I'm really lucky that my kids are growing up and I don't have, you know, little ones to run around after. But but I just thought, well, I need to spend some money now in order to build the brand. And I think I've done an amazing job on a really string budget. I've had a great um, graphic designer that worked with me and, and he was amazing and he was very important in um, uh, in helping me develop the visual side of the you know the visuals and yeah I think I was pretty lucky in that sense yes I think the mm -hmm. visuals do carry the brand a lot um yeah because oh, it's hard to articulate it even though I've worked on the brand a bit um yeah. but um yeah it lets you know this is not your average product there's something else when you scratch many the service or even when you don't even look yeah. beyond the service when you just look at it for what it is it's like yeah. oh 
this is yeah. something. This is worth my yeah. attention. And I think I was super lucky during lockdown that I did a couple of um, photo shoots with the most beautiful photographers, um, Lauren Bamford and Jessica Tremp, and they both, you know, lockdown provided some opportunities for, for innovation because I just dropped the soap. I didn't meet, I had still to this day haven't met either of the photographers, but they both did the most beautiful shoots with minimal impact because I was like, well, we, and it was it was just hilarious in, in some of the ways in the things that we did during lockdown that, you know, now you look back and you're like, how did we do that? How did, I'd send soaps to them. They do, they'd send me, you know, I just think in that sense, I was incredibly lucky too that I got the, two photographers that just created beautiful imagery because for me if you're selling online I just and it's a, and it's an ex, you know well expensive it's it's not cheap the soaps aren't cheap right they're not two dollar soaps um they're kind of you know 17 dollars so 18 dollars soaps if you buy three you, you can get them for cheaper you know if you buy six you get them for 13 and they last a long time I think they're good value but they're still you know, up there. And I think, so I need to tell that story visually in a way that shows why the soap is worth it and that shows how beautiful it is when you, um, when you wear, when it wears down, it becomes this, from this block to this beautiful rounded thing that's green. And so I wanted to show that visually. Um, and I chose two of my favourite photographers, never thinking that they would take the job on because I am tiny and I don't have a big budget, but they immediately got it. They got the story. They loved the idea. And I think to me visuals are critical if you're selling online and if you're selling the product that can some people, they're like, mm, Bit ugly. I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. So, how do we make it look beautiful? <laughs> how do we make it look beautiful? Yeah, it's one of those products that is uh, beautiful in its kind of ugliness. I don't see it as ugly at all. It's just natural. No, That's the appeal for me. Totally, absolutely. And I and they were like, because somebody was like, oh, what can't you get it? You know smaller and with lavender and put a stamp on it oh. and make it here I'm like that's not look there's the nothing point. wrong with yeah <laughs> this is soap that's been hand cut you can tell it's oh been hand cut by someone and it's it's perfect in its own way to me and I would I'm not going to change it you know I don't want to make it smaller or you know different stamps or anything like that it's got the stamp of the maker on it and that's all I care about you know that they've they've made it it's authentic yeah yes I, I'm with you I love everything about it so how, how about um getting like stockists on board what's that like because mm. you so initially I I just thought I'm just selling selling it online I'm not going to have it in retail right I, I'm just selling it online and then I realized how are people going to know about this soap case like how are they going to find out about it and then I so I, I approached a few of my favorite shops before I even started importing it to say would you stock it how would you stock it where would it sit would you want it wrapped? Would you want it unwrapped? And they were really great in um, helping me understand what a, what a retailer looks for and what they need because that might be very different from what I need um, online. And so I think that early research was critical and they immediately said yes. Well, I went to two shops, uh, one in Melbourne and one in regional Victoria, and, um, and they both said, yep, we'd stock it. We'd stock it now. And so I was like, oh, hang on. And then after that, all my retailers have actually come to me. I haven't been out 
And it's, I, I think it's in about six shops. And for me, I was only ever going to have it in kind of three or four shops, retail outlets. And since then, more and more people are, are, are approaching me for it. Unfortunately, last year I didn't have any stock. So I had to say, can you wait until I've got some? And I've got some now, which is amazing. So it's starting to roll out. And there's a, in Victoria here, there's a big project that started, that it's called the Purpose Precinct and it's in the Victoria market and it's social enterprises. And they've yesterday just ordered um, a whole lot from me. And so I think for me, that's about being with other like-minded social enterprises, but, it, but typically it's in pretty beautiful um, stores that sell amazing homewares and it, it fits in beautifully. Every store that's come to me, I've gone, yep. I can see it. I can see exactly where it will fit within your shop. So it's been a delight to pretty much everyone to say yes. And I, I drive the soaps out and I chat to them because I'm like, you know, it's just me. Uh, and I think people like that. And they're all gunning for me. They all want me to, you know, to Hobart. There's a there's a um a, a place uh, called the Maker in Hobart, and they they've stocked it, and they're a great supporter as well. So um, I'm again, I think the story is really engaging, and it's it's authentic and that authenticity gives people confidence you know I'm an open book it's a charity um you know I've been open about how hard it is that I'm really you know I need to make a profit but how do you make a profit you know I thought it would be easy it's not easy it's really hard so um I think the retailers have been wonderful really supportive um yeah it's been great I saw that the the one you mentioned in in Hobart, um, yeah. they spoke on socials about how we might experience different emotions when washing with it. Can you tell me <laughs> more about that? <laughs> oh, look, I think it's funny. It was really, look at again, people have different insights that I would never have kind of thought about, and it's it's that user generated content that's so gold. It's so amazing, and I think for me. What I thought people would do is when, as they're reaching for the soap, they will feel good. They will feel good about it because they're doing a good thing socially. They're doing a good thing environmentally. And, and what we want to instill in our customers is a feeling of joy and pride and happiness as they're reaching for it or as they're about to. That's what I want. And so I think I think what um, the maker in Hobart were doing is they were talking about, but then so they put a different perspective of, of it actually, it's quite square and hard when you first use it. But as you use it, it becomes this beautiful, rounded, gentle, soft, and it feels like it's a different soap, but it's actually um, gorgeous. And, and the inside is green. It's a green, bright green. And so it kind of unveil, um, unveils itself to you. And I think people are quite surprised. I was surprised when I first used it. I'm like, oh, it's green inside. Um, and it's just, it just feels really beautiful and um, luxurious to come from such a square hard thing that you start with. I think that's, yeah, and it, again, I think that's the beauty of, of the soap is it, it kind of unwraps and, and then, you know, and it, 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 it um, wears down beautifully. And I actually re get really sad when it gets down to the last bit because it's so green and beautiful. I'm like, I'm going to keep that. And like, I've got all these little bits because they're so green and gorgeous. I'm like, I'll keep that one and start it start afresh but yeah <laughs> I love the simplicity of your brand and your product mm. I mean the two ingredients plastic free made with traditional techniques passed down yeah. like through generations through the aeons um yes 
it's effective and it does more mm. goodness than I think we can imagine. I think it's sometimes the simplest ideas that work best, right? Yeah, well, I'm not. I just, I think, I think simple is hard. I think, I think it's, you know, in anything you do, whether you're doing a project, whether you're writing something, writing something beautifully and simply, as you know, is really hard. It's easy to write gobbledygook. I'll go to AI if I want that, right? It's hard to, it's hard to, to um, synthesize down in anything we do. And so for me, keeping it simple both works for my brain because I don't do complexity well. I like simple things, right? But it's also, it doesn't complicate the world. I've got enough complications in my life. I just want something that's simple and straightforward and true, true, like not bullshitty, but true and, and you know, and brings me joy. And I don't think we need to go far to get that. I think it can be really simple in something as beautiful as a beautiful natural piece of soap that that wears down gorgeously and you know you feel good doing it you feel good buying it um why complicate that you know I don't need to do that it's it's perfect in its own way yes (laughs) finally (laughs) I wanted to ask you so for small businesses in particular who Mm. support charities um or want to like donate a portion of their profit to an organization how what's your advice on how we can um, choose an organization that's going to do the right thing with our money and then yeah. building on that how can we talk about our support of an organization credibly without sounding yeah. like a tosser or just giving lip yeah. service yeah oh look I think it's almost standard these days almost standard that that companies will be donating part of their goods or or, or profit to a purposeful organization you know, everybody's doing it, so it kind of doesn't have that differentiator anymore. So I think you need to be super careful about not looking jargony, as you say, or not looking kind of, you know, a bit sleazy. But I do think that we should be doing it, but we should be proud of it. I don't think you should hide it. I think so. I I think, and and somebody said to me at the beginning, rather than why don't you just straight up donate a dollar from every bar to you know, whatever. And so there's all different ways to do it. You don't, you know, there's, and I think for me, make sure that the organisation is um, is worthy of your brand and your time and your effort and do the, you've just got to do the research. There's no easy way around it. And I would be looking at their annual reports. I'd be looking at what they actually do. Because I think organisations now are, are quite sophisticated in, in explaining their impact, you know, and and what do you actually do? You sound great, but what do you actually do? And and if all you do is spend all your money on marketing and you know on something that doesn't matter, then then I don't want to align myself with you. Um, and I think because there's a there's some great case studies out there. Um, for work, I did um, the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, and they talked about governance around this. And there was a great ex- a, um, example of, of charities that spent all their money on marketing and events, and literally there was no money going to the, per- the cause. Um, and there's great case studies of that. So just be careful about the glamour and the glitz and look at their annual reports and look at their financials and make sure 
that that the money that they're spending isn't going to all the other stuff and and does go towards the purpose. Um, and that'll change because for me, all my money is going towards trying to make the business operate. And and so we're not making profit at the moment. And that's okay because I'm in my second year. But I would say if a, a company is still operating after five years or an organisation is still operating after five years and they're not hitting it, they're not having an impact, I'd, I'd be questioning it. So I just think do the research. Make sure that you're aligned with somebody that's worthy. Excellent advice. So where can we go to learn more about Alep and get our hands on it? Yeah, so um, you can go to www.alep.com.au or on Instagram, um, our handle is at alepsoak. You are so awesome. Thanks for listening to Rise and Shine. Please leave a review and subscribe so we can spread the love to more brave, business-minded women like you. You can find me online at shinecoffee.com.au.